from the American School Counselor Association, this is I Hear You Say, a podcast for school counselors and other leaders in education. I'm Jen Walsh, Director of Education and Training here at ASCA. ASCA's School Counselor of the Year Award honors professionals who devote their careers to advocating for the nation's students and addressing their academic and social-emotional development and college and career readiness needs. Today, we sit down with one of the 2023 School Counselor of the Year finalists, Matthew Shervington Jackson. Matt is a school counselor at Susquehannock High School, a high school serving 933 students, grades 9 through 12. He has been a school counselor since 2015. Welcome, Matt, and congratulations. Thank you very much. I am definitely very excited to be here. Well, we are happy to have you. So I hear that you champion equity and systemic change in your school and your district. How do you go about doing that? So I think that first and foremost, that's done and it starts when students feel heard and acknowledged. And I want to place the emphasis that um, I think that's on all students. Obviously, when you're talking equity and systemic change, you're looking at uh, marginalized populations and students that are affected disproportionately by policies and procedures. But I would like to think that my reputation precedes me and that all students, as a result, feel that they can approach me when they need help with an issue, whether that's an individual issue in like traditional counseling or whether that's something that needs to be taken on more systemically with the school climate or school culture. So I think that's where it starts. Stemming from that, I think that's why I've been approached over the years by different students and staff about overseeing numerous extracurricular clubs and activities or organizations that we offer at my high school. And so the three that immediately uh, come to mind are our Vitam Club, which is a club that originated in Pennsylvania at Elko High School. The purpose of the club is to create a positive school environment that destigmatizes conversations about mental health and allows students to have open conversations about mental health, as well as our multicultural club and our alliance club, um, with multicultural club being a club for students of various diverse ethnic and racial backgrounds, being able to kind of have a safe space to discuss issues that are affecting them in school. And with our alliance club, that's a gender sexuality club, for students uh, that are LGBTQ to also have a safe space and discuss issues that are occurring within school. Both those within the, within the context of school and different issues that they may face uh, by being a part of those cultures, if you will. As a result, I think that first and foremost, uh, I champion equity for students by learning from them in that advisor role. Simply being able to sit in on the meetings, I think, is immensely beneficial because it gives me the opportunity to learn from students. Sometimes as the adults in the room, if you will, as the teachers, as the counselors, as the administrators, we think with our educational background and our personal life experience that uh, kind of provides us insight on things. And I do believe that to be the case. But at the end of the day, we are in school for the students and the students are the ones who are living their lived experience. Um, So as a result, simply just being able to sit on these meetings and learn from these students I think is key to kind of starting uh, that process of championing equity and systemic change. But on that same token, it gives me the opportunity to kind of chime in and offer perspective from the educator role or from the adult in the room's role. and allows me to be transparent with students on why policies or procedures may be the way that they are. I can just recall from my own personal time 
time in school that there were many times where I felt a policy or a procedure wasn't fair or even targeted me for various reasons, um, whether it be that staff maybe felt I wasn't the strongest student or even in some cases just because I was a young African-American male. And I never had that opportunity for an adult to be transparent with me and kind of explain, this is why the policy and procedure is how it is. This is the history and the reasoning behind that policy and procedure. Here's how it's carried out, so on and so forth. Um, And so in my role as an advisor, I found that many times when students kind of want to take action to address a policy that they feel creates inequalities or issues for different populations that I'm able to kind of give them that information as to this is why the policy exists, this were the decision-making behind it, so that they can address that issue rationally rather than kind of coming into that situation blindly. And that way they can take the proper actions to address fighting that inequity in, with that particular policy or procedure. I've also served on our district diversity team very early on in my career, fresh out of graduate school. I definitely tried my hardest to adhere to the ASCA model to a T. And with that, I I began compiling a school and district profile to provide disaggregated data on achievement and discipline. And my goal was for the team to examine practices that may be creating inequalities across race, gender, and socioeconomic status. Ultimately, while I was not the party that got to fully champion that work and look at that data, I do feel that my initial efforts to create that school profile and that district profile are what played a tremendous role and what led to that undertaking. Awesome. I really loved the point that you brought up throughout this entire conversation so far about just incorporating student voice and how important that is. While also being, like you said, the adult in the room or the educator in the room, towing that balance, I think is such a great point and great way to champion equity and systemic change. Building on that, I'd like to discuss a little bit more about how you're the first educator of color in your district. We know that it is so important for students in the building to see and learn from those who look like them. And we also know that there is a shortage of school counselors and especially school counselors of color. What are some ways that this has impacted your experience and how you approach school counseling with your students? Um, So I think it's very much a matter of representation, especially for uh, students of color. While one thing that I absolutely applaud the school counseling profession for doing is, as far as I'm aware, just about Every program uh, at the graduate level requires a multicultural counseling course, um, which is something that not all teacher preparation programs require at the undergraduate level. So I think school counseling is certainly leading the way in that regard. But though people of color, Black people, so on and so forth, are not monolithic in nature, it does allow me from my personal upbringing, my personal experiences, to relate to some things that some of my students are experiencing or are currently going through. And I think that representation allows them to kind of naturally seek me out and have that conversation from a place of understanding. Not that I think that inherently makes that ability in comparison to my coworkers or my peers and colleagues, I mean, it doesn't allow them to have that conversation. But I think there's a sense of uh, empathy versus a sense of having fully experienced that particular situation yourself. And so 
I have had students who have kind of been able to to explain like conversations with regard to microaggressions concerning hair and whether the, the, the comment being innocuous and innocent in and of itself, but maybe perhaps the, the other student who made that comment not necessarily understanding the, the history of uh, African-American hair and its perceptions of professionalism or not being professional, so on and so forth, and just the deep-rooted aspects that fall into that. And so simple conversations like that, that I, I, with my upbringing, I have a full awareness of and can share that information, not only with students as we're having that conversation, but with staff alike. But beyond that, one thing I think that is important is just simply a matter of representation in what is a pretty homogenous uh, area. I believe we are at about 12% students of color in the district. And I'm glad to say that though I was the first educator of color hired in the district, we have made tremendous strides over the last five years. Um, We have hired several teachers of color, as well as uh, additional social workers who happen to be women of color. And that particular representation, I think, is doing wonders for many students who perhaps their exposure to other cultures and other races other than their own might not have taken place outside of media. And if we're talking direct exposure in terms of having those conversations, other than their conversations with their peers of other races or backgrounds, that typically wasn't happening at an immense level until they would leave the area to pursue careers or to pursue college. And so I think that exposure also allows them to see an African-American male in a professional position that for all intents and purposes is just like them. Uh, One thing I pride myself on is being a kid at heart. And so uh, students seeing me just being jovial, talking about video games, talking about things that they completely relate to. Sports is a big thing for me. So talking about sports and drawing those central connections, I think that sort of representation and kind of having that exposure, for lack of a better term, for some of our students has truly played a great part. I was having this conversation with a student the other day and how her boyfriend was a former student of mine. And just kind of that conversation, uh, she was having a conversation with him about having me as a counselor was preparation for their teammates, et cetera, now that they're in college doing athletics and just kind of understanding that his teammates, although they're coming from other areas in Pennsylvania, such as Philadelphia, et cetera, and happen to be young men of color, they're no different than him. They enjoy the same sport as him. They're in college for the same reasons as him. And just having me as a counselor was something that allowed for that preparation to kind of have that understanding and be ready for that as he went to a college that had a very different demographical makeup than the area in which he grew up his entire life. Yeah, that's a great point and a really interesting perspective. So you mentioned teaching or I guess educating staff about the importance of representation and things like microaggressions. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because we do know that this does often fall on the school counselor and or educators of color in the building. So I do think it's important for staff, whether they're a teacher, an administrator, a lunch personnel, school bus driver, counselor, whomever, to kind of take the initiative in and of themselves to educate themselves about matters such as that. Uh, Because wanting to educate yourself on a matter like that does have to be genuine and come from the heart, if you will. And when that's the Mm -hmm. case, unfortunately, historically, often, as you mentioned, that does kind of fall on counselors and or educators of color to provide that education. 
And when it's coming from a genuine place, I think that's conversation that's great to be had. In my particular case, there have been faculty that maybe that have approached me with just, hey, um, I'm not necessarily connecting with this student. Is there any background that you can provide me? And I don't think that conversation is necessarily any different if we're having that conversation with a student who may be dealing with issues at home or mental health concerns. Because again, as we're any educator would tell you, we, we are dealing with the whole child. We are dealing with the whole student. Yes, we are in school to educate students, but at the end of the day, you can't educate a student if they don't feel welcome or they don't feel a sense of belonging or there are barriers to that education. And so just kind of having those conversations and having an understanding of, well, that student may be the lone student of color in that particular class. And as a result, that may be something that's always looming on their mind or being asked to provide a perspective of people of color when they're this lone student in this classroom, even though people of color, again, are not a monolith who all think and act and speak the same way, uh, can be a constant reminder that people may think I as a student am different, or maybe even that I don't belong here. So just kind of working with teachers, working with others to kind of have that awareness, that sense of empathy, maybe put yourself in other shoes. Like if you were in this situation where you may, in many cases, be the lone person of your race or your gender or your ethnicity or your orientation in a social situation, is your mind immediately on what's happening in front of you? Or are there other factors that may be coming into play with how you're interacting with other people or having conversations? So shifting gears a little bit, you are from a small rural area, and I hear that you've made it a priority to provide your students with lots of exposure to careers available outside of your small community. In fact, one of your annual student outcome goals this past year centered around helping your students feel prepared for their future with post-secondary plans. So even with the numerous hats that school counselors juggle, I think for many, especially those far removed from education or those of past generations, the primary thought of a school counselor is going to fall on the individual whose job it is to help prepare a student for college and or career readiness. Unfortunately, there is a misperception that over time, the push from school counselors has been for uh, more college preparatory aspects and college applications, but I think that can't be further from the truth. I do think that school counselors across the nation are leaders in their buildings in terms of college and career preparation, Um, because for many of our students, college may not necessarily be a requirement. There are several students who can enter the workforce directly making a very considerable wage. And so kind of stemming from that and wanting to make sure that we were being data-driven in what we're doing, uh, we did establish a pre- and post-test in terms of 11th and 12th grade students to see where their career readiness is. Now, I certainly cannot take all the credit for this or even the majority of the credit for this, if I'm being honest, because I did happen to come into a school that has a wonderful program or had a wonderful program built into place in terms of preparing students for college and career readiness. Um, One of our graduation requirements, for instance, is that all 10th grade students take a class called Career Seminar, in which they do career interest inventories, personality inventories, explore colleges and explore different careers that may be of interest for them, that then builds a base that counselors and teachers can work with to help kind of 
help them along in 11th and 12th grade. But where I did in terms of looking at what we do and trying to move to a formal comprehensive counseling program is create data following that in terms of even if students have that information, do they feel prepared and do they retain that information beyond that 10th grade requirement? So a student may have done the research and say, hey, I want to be an engineer. But did they gather that information just because it was a requirement to pass the class? Or do they continue to maintain that information into 11th and 12th grade and understand the basic minimal education requirements to be an engineer? Do they understand opportunities that are available to them within the area, the immediate area and the much larger area of Pennsylvania? And since we border on Maryland, um, upper Maryland that are available to them, are they aware of the resources both in and school and out of school that allow them to be aware of that? And so what we do is we administer uh, the pretest, if you will, to all of our students at all of our 11th grade students at the beginning of the year and then create our programs to address this throughout the year based on those results. So that whether that be evening programs, daytime workshops, lunch and learn, so on and so forth. So by, by way of career, we may find that many students, again, engineering just seems to be popular with this, that many students may offer and say they want to be engineers. But uh, that's a very generalized way of looking at that particular path. What are the different ways in which you can be an engineer, mechanical versus civil versus aerospace, so on and so forth? Or what are different kind of tiers of engineering if you could be, like dealing with mechatronics, so on and so forth? And so again, not necessarily kind of taking credit for this. We have a wonderful organization in the area called York County Alliance for Learning. And I think kind of stemming from our counseling department, our business department, and our administrative team kind of working hand in hand and consulting with one another. We've made a much more concerted effort to make students aware of the opportunities that York County Alliance for Learning uh, offers. And so we've seen a marked increase in the amount of students who take advantage of those programs. And what those programs are, are day-long shadowing opportunities in industries that students may not even be aware existed in the area. Because it, admittedly, York County in comparison to surrounding counties in Pennsylvania, it's not blossoming in terms of way of opportunities. But that said, that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities here. And so we've allowed through doing the York, partnering with York County Alliance for Learning, we've allowed many students to see opportunities that are available to them, such as different mechatronics organizations around and how varying degrees of being an engineer can allow them careers to work in that area, whether it be directly out of college and I mean, directly out of high school and kind of building up your knowledge base or going to college to pursue a two-year degree or a four-year degree um, and having a potential for potential for a career in that particular area. But definitely working to make sure that students understand that there are opportunities also available to them that can allow them to have a nice foundation and a high paying job, if you will, right out of high school, or even opportunities to learn on the job, such as apprenticeships. We've seen a marked increase by partnering with YCAL and students who participate in pre-apprenticeship programs in their 10th, 11th, and 12th grade years. And then as a result, have apprenticeships uh, lined up for them in electrical work or manufacturing or construction right out of high school. And so offering those students those opportunities by targeting where there appeared to be gaps and what our students were aware of 
we've been able to provide students more opportunities both directly out of high school and even even if a student were to want to go to a two-year university experience or a four-year university experience, offering those students opportunities to maybe find ways to find jobs that either bolster their college application, such as if you're looking to go into a medical field, doing local EMT work or local volunteer work uh, that gets a foot in the door, and then kind of being able to bolster your college application that way, or even finding positions that, again, pay well enough that they're going to help in terms of creating a financial backing to be able to pay for what you have to pay out of pocket uh, should you attend a two-year or four-year program. And just exposing them to or introducing them to the field to see if that truly is something that they want to pursue after high school. There are just so many careers out there that people don't know about, and that's where the role of the school counselor with regards to post-secondary readiness is so critical, helping kids figure out what success and a future looks like for them after their formal education ends in high school. So such great work. So again, shifting gears a little bit, if you had to pick a theme song to describe you, what would it be and why? It's a very interesting question um, because my taste in music is very, very, very eclectic. I listen to everything all over the spectrum, but narrowing it down to one song and just because it's kind of immediately coming to mind, I would say Vacation by The Dirty Heads. Just because it was a viral song via TikTok, not this previous summer, but the summer before. And the sound of the song very much, and the title of the song very much kind of indicates like, hey, it's all about relaxing and being on a vacation and get and getting away from work. But once you actually listen to the lyrics, it does have a message about kind of relaxing. But the other aspect of the song is that the, the individual singing feels like their job is a vacation because they love what they do. And not that I want to be known or feel as if I'm the individual that counseling kind of defines them, but I, I do feel like I throw a lot into this profession. And as a result, like I do feel that song resonates with me. And when I'm at work, I genuinely enjoy coming to work. Now, there, there are lines in there that are also kind of funny about a, I think there's a line that says something like, uh, people feel sour like a lemon tree. And you can ask any of my colleagues, I'm not the best person in the morning until I've had my cup of coffee. And so that, that definitely adheres to me. But after I move from my sour lemon tree phase and have my coffee, you'd be hard pressed not to find me smiling and acting silly and just being extra, as the kids say, while at work, uh, because I genuinely enjoy what I do. And when I do have to take things home, I genuinely do enjoy the sometimes where life and school meld. Um, I do feel as if like many facets of my job that are enjoyable, including helping students and cheering for students at extracurriculars does meld. Um, my family can be found at many extracurriculars uh, for the school simply because I do think there are life lessons also learned outside of the classroom. We are big sports and extracurricular people in my household because uh, again, we believe in the whole child and the comprehensive nature. And so in many facets of work, I don't feel our work. I just feel they encompass parts of life and I don't feel as if I'm working when I'm at work. I just genuinely enjoy 
I just en genuinely enjoy what being a school counselor provides me at work, but what it's also provided me in life outside of work. And isn't that what we all strive for, right? To wake up every day and do something we love. We end each episode with what inspires or motivates you. There are three women in my life that motivate and inspire me the most. That would be my mother, my wife, and my daughter. My mother is the hardest working and most selfless individual I've ever met. She served the United States Army for 22 years and service to her country. Um, and then uh, following her retirement from the military, uh, she has been a special education teacher in the school district of Philadelphia for the past 23 years, with this, I believe, being her last year coming up upon retirement. But my sense of dedication to education definitely comes from her dedication uh, in serving her country and serving her students. There were many a night where my mom would not get home until 8 o'clock just because she was going above and beyond for the students and the families and the school. And that's kind of a lesson I kind of took with me, uh, just about hard work and dedication and doing things for others, if you will. Uh, the second person there would be my wife, because if there's anyone who could rival my mother in terms of selflessness, it would certainly be my wife. She made sacrifices in life to allow me to get to where I am as a school counselor and she's been by me every step of the way in my pursuit of being a school counselor. And again, as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, she's there every step of the way when there are extracurricular events. If there's a basketball game and one of my students has asked me to show up to the game for moral support, I know that if I go home and tell my wife, hey, I'm going to the basketball game tonight, she'll say, okay, let me get Izzy ready and we'll all go there together and cheer on the team. If I tell her, hey, I have to come home and work on some additional transcripts tonight because we're running a little bit behind in the office, even though she works herself and she got worked the same amount of hours as me that day and then came home and made dinner, she will say, what can I do to help you so you can get your transcripts done so that you don't have to be up till midnight or whenever doing work. And just that sense of selflessness and compassion and care uh, that's something that I look to try and embody with how I approach life and how I approach being a school counselor. And then last but not least would be my daughter, Isabella. Uh, my daughter, Isabella, is probably my biggest inspiration, uh, just seeing her grow and knowing that much in the way that I hope I'm helping to guide students uh, to be comprehensive, strong, and caring people because uh, they're the ones who are going to inherit this world we live in. I know that my daughter will be a member of that world and will also inherit that world. And I see the life lessons that she's learning from my wife, from my mother, from myself, and from her wonderful teachers, but uh, to be a compassionate and caring individual. And those days when I'm tired or those days where uh, we all experience in counseling question, like maybe a little bit of burnout or compassion fatigue, seeing my daughter represent those life lessons of caring when I come home or when I pick her up and her teacher says, oh, so-and-so fell down and Isabella was the first person to run over and check on them or so-and-so didn't have a group of friends to play with and Isabella made sure they had someone to play with. Seeing that always kind of reinvigorates and re-inspires me whenever I tend to 
run into a little bit of compassion fatigue or a little bit of burnout or being a little bit tired. And she doesn't know it yet, but she has taught me so much and just reinvigorated me so much. Oh, that's lovely. How old is she? She's five. Oh, so cute. Such a fun age, too. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us today. And again, congratulations on such an accomplishment to be named one of the School Counselor of the Year finalists for this year. So what great work you're doing. And again, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was certainly my pleasure. Thank you all for listening. We hope to have you back on our next episode, but until then, be sure to check out our website, schoolcounselor.org, for school counselor resources. We'd also love to engage with you on all of our social media platforms. Find us on Facebook at the American School Counselor Association, Twitter at Aska Tweets, and Instagram at WeAreAska. Thanks and hear from you soon. I'm Jen Walsh, and this has been I Hear You Say, the podcast from the American School Counselor Association.